for the opportunity to open your word, look into it, study it, understand it, have the Holy Spirit speak to us and make the word applicable to our lives on a daily basis. So bless as we go forward this time and God give us victory in every way in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I got a title for the message I'm going to talk about today and it's God Looks at the Heart. If you noticed when I give the... Uh, readings that Brother Steve read off the TV screen. Both of those in Ezekiel, those two different scriptures talked about taking out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh and God's going to write on our hearts his laws. He promised the people in the Old Testament, I got a place for you to go and it's going to be great and you're going to have to have a right heart to understand what's going on in that place. Of course, um, we know that the church came to pass after Jesus Christ uh, death, burial, and resurrection, ascension back to heaven, he established what we call the church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he did. It's the church. Amen. You get to be a part of it now. And so when he teaches us those things, we need to take heed to them. Now, I'm going to read from Matthew, the 23rd chapter. If you have your Bible or your phone or however you want to follow along or Michael put it on the board, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus is really getting down on the Pharisees. That's whole chapter. You can read it later for a bedtime story, but I just want to pull a couple of verses out and talk about it because we want to talk about our hearts being right with God. And in this, he talks about you scribes and Pharisee hypocrites. See, I'm doing Scott a favor. Because none of the pastors like to preach on hypocrites. You know what I mean? So I'm going to preach on hypocrites and save him the trouble. All right? So that way you guys will like him and you'll have months before you have to look at me again. All right? So in this Matthew 23rd chapter, I want to break in in verse number 25. And it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and platter, but in they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, Pharisee, clean first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. He goes on to say, Woe unto you, scribe and Pharisee hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now, he's really called them out there, so I want you to understand this is something we need to take heed to. Um, how many of you like being called hypocrite? Anybody? Did I, uh, nobody? Not even you, Paul? Okay. Have a cookie and you'll be okay. All right. So when he talks in this text, this whole 23rd chapter, he's actually calling them folks out. Now, granted, he's just a day or so from the cross. Okay? So what's he got to lose? Yeah, you know what I mean? And he knows it, and they know it, so to speak, because they're out to get him. And he's already said, they're out to get me. They're going to kill. I ain't going home from Jerusalem this year after the Passover. You know, the only place I'm going, they're going to carry me to. And it's to a tomb, which I'm going to come out of three days later. 
So he decides, I have about put up with these Pharisees long enough. It's time for me to call them out and tell them the truth. So I don't know about you, but to be called a hypocrite would be about as bad as it gets for an individual that has a future goal of making heaven their eternal, everlasting home. I've been called a lot of things, and probably over the years, maybe even hypocrite some of the times, but I'm hard hearing, so that's a blessing. When they call me names, I, don't, I act like I didn't hear it. How's that? Amen. But uh, we just want to go ahead, and I, if it comes to being a hypocrite, I want to avoid that at all costs. Anybody here, got, is that your goal to be a hypocrite? I hope not. Amen? Of course not. All right, to be called a hypocrite says that your lifestyle doesn't match what you say and what you're trying to be in your spiritual life. I personally don't like to use that term when I describe someone. You know, first of all, I don't really know their heart. Only God knows your heart. And I don't know why people do what they do or say what they say or whatever because I don't know their heart and only God does, but I have to let them and God stand uh, at the judgment, if you would, or allow God to read their heart and convict them of anything that they're doing that's out of his will. So it means to be a hypocrite, to be uh, judging their hearts and their minds to determine uh, that they are on the outward a phony. Amen? That's what it means. For me to come to the conclusion that I can know in their heart or in their mind completely, then I could maybe judge their actions. But I don't. I don't. They have to follow their own convictions in what they say. So what Jesus was teaching here when he said that to these scribes and Pharisees, I want you to become dishwashers. There's a cup and a platter and they need to be cleaned because we've used them now. We had lunch and it's over and it's time to do the dishes. All right? And I don't have dishpan hands. I, I, my wife don't allow me in the kitchen that long. But I'm thankful that she does the dishes. And of course, we have a dishwasher, but she usually cleans the inside and the outside and then puts them in the dishwasher and then takes care of those sort of things. Here we have Jesus talking about getting the cup and the platter clean. Now, can I tell you something? He's not talking about soup bowls and sandwich dishes. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your heart. Okay, now I want you to know that. I'll tell you that up above and then. Of course, you have to understand when he talks literal terms to these folks, they have to interpret in spiritual terms. You know why he did that? The Pharisees knew what he meant, but the hypocrites didn't. You know what they were thinking about? Doing the dishes. They had no idea what he was talking about when he said you got to do that. But he went on to explain it to them. So when it comes to dishwashing, we need to understand that we need to get things right. So a, a sinner, when he's talking about um, doing things that he wants to do, that's different than a hypocrite. Do you know there's a difference between a hypocrite and a sinner? Did you know that? I mean, what a hypocrite is, is somebody that knows what's in his heart but tries to fake it on the outside. A sinner just does what's in his heart. He just sins because his heart says, that's what my lust and desire, that's what I want to do, so I'm going to sin. 
He's not trying to fool nobody. And everybody knows he's a sinner because of the way he lives. Amen? But a hypocrite is trying to play act. That's what the word actually means. He's a play actor in what he's doing. So we need to make sure that our heart and our life actually line up in the way we present ourselves. So when it comes to the dishwashing scenario, Jesus says in verse 25 that uh, I want you to know how this dishwashing thing's supposed to work. He said you got to clean the inside of the cup and the platter first. Amen? And then the rest of it's going to look better later on. Now remember, God is looking at the heart. So when I go to a restaurant and eat, for example, and I go in and they serve me a glass of water, I got to tell you something. I'm not really thirsty when I see lipstick around the rim of that glass because I don't wear lipstick. So whoever had that glass before left some residue that I don't think I'm interested in enjoying. So I know that the dishwasher at that restaurant didn't do a very thorough job. Now, if I can see it on the outside, what's that make me think about what's on the inside? Ah, well, that's the way we are when it comes to hypocrites. If we can see them living one way on the outside, but know the inside's different, now we've got an issue on our hands. Amen? That's a bad example of dishwashing. Amen? Another thing, when I get a cup of coffee, oh, we all love our morning coffee, don't we? Amen. We go through pots and pots of it, even in Sunday school, and we've all had coffee before we get here. We're still drinking coffee once we get to Sunday school. But when I get to the bottom of the cup, you know when you look at a cup of coffee, you can only see what's on the surface. You can't see what's on the bottom of the cup. So you naturally, in thinking, oh, this is good. Ah, so I'm going to drink. It looks right. Then you take that last drink and you look in the cup. <sighs> and all those little floaters in there. Now, I don't mind drinking a cup of coffee. I just don't want to chew it. <laughs> Amen? So what do we need to do? We need to clean those cups. We need to make sure the pot's clean that we get the coffee from. Those are just natural things that we should do to have our dishes uh, to do what we want them to do. So um, don't mind the fact that coffee's good, but I want to drink it from a, the right kind of cup, if you would. Let's just say it that way. The same is true with hypocrites. Amen. They look like they're good coffee, but when you look deep enough, you'll see the grounds. You'll know that they haven't done their coffee uh, what it should have been done. Here in our text, Jesus pretty much sees those things the same way. He looked on the outward presentation, but he knew the inward uh, exhortations and excess that calls it in, uh, in verse number 25 there of what was going on in their hearts. In other words, um, their hearts and their actions don't match. So in verse 26, he said to these blind Pharisee, Cleanse first that which is within. That's your heart. That's your mind. Those are the things you have to have cleansed first, which um, 
that which is within the cup and the platter, and the outside then will be clean also. Amen? So if you know the cup's clean, you know what's in it is pure, no grounds, no lipstick, ah, safe to drink it, right? We got that much down. Same is true with people in their lives. If their heart and mind's right with Christ, their outside's going to reflect that. Amen. Amen. That's just the way it works. Amen. Now, so we got to clean the inside first, and that means everything has to be on track with God. And then the outward portion of your life will reveal any of the things that God doesn't want in your life. Amen? So that's what we need to do. Being a hypocrite turns you into a liar. Did you know that? Nobody tells, nobody likes to be called a hypocrite, but it's worse if they call you a liar. Amen? Because then it's obvious that things are wrong. Amen? Now, I believe the Word of God is fairly firm on God's opinion of liars. Most of you know, you can quote it, Revelation 21 and 8. Uh-huh. So it's pretty much an obvious thing. But we'll leave the liars for another message, but I want you to know they fall in the same category. Now, the reason Jesus calls them out as hypocrites and not liars is that all hypocrites are liars, but not all liars are hypocrites. Got that? So he's distinguishing between the two when he calls them hypocrites. If someone lies to you, and doesn't try to cover it up, that's one thing. But if they lie to you and try to pull the wool over your eyes, try to fool you, that's a whole nother story. Amen. And if that's a practice that you follow, you know who's getting deceived? You're just deceiving yourself. Amen. Because if you, your lying life or your hypocritical life really doesn't affect too many other people except yourself. So we have to get all of that cleansed out, all the cups and platters washed, all of our hearts and minds clean before God, and then we can walk in the things that God wants us to walk in. So let's clean the inside first, and the outside will also follow. In verse 27 there, he goes a little farther. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites. There's an exclamation point there in my scripture reading. Is it dip there? Yeah, exclamation. In other words... He's pretty emphatic about it. Amen? He doesn't appreciate it. Let's just say it that way. For you're like whited sepulchers. You know what a sepulcher is? I looked it up. It means grave or tomb. Amen? Now, we realize that when we go into a cemetery, there are a bunch of tombs in there and a lot of stones out. And some of the stones have been there a long time. And they kind of get faded and eroded and you can't hardly read the names and dates and stuff on them. And some of them, boy, they must spend a fortune on them. Amen? Now, Bonnie and I have already got our stones in the ground. Again, we're just anxious to get out of here, I guess. But we've already got ours there. And they're all, you know, and they got our names on it and our birthday, and they're just waiting on that last date to be etched in and that drop us in the hole. So what we got to make sure is when we look at a cemetery, that's not a really happy place to go a lot of times. But it is a memorable place because when you see a tomb, it reminds you of somebody. It represents somebody. 
And here he calls them whited sepulchers. Now in his day, their day and time, they did sepulchers a whole lot different than we do now. They didn't have the embalming ingredients they have, and that kind of preserves the body so that it doesn't fall into decay. If you didn't do any embalming, a body after a few days, of course Lazarus was witness to that, it starts to smell bad. And it's not long till uh, it turns into decay and rot, and the next thing you know, there's just a skeleton there. That's all that's left. And so when he talks about these whited sepulchers, it's as though these people are like tombs, and they know what's in that tomb, and they want to stay away from it. They want to avoid it for the smell, for the, what's inside it, just a bunch of bones. The person that was there is not there. So they rep we represent that. He called them whited sepulchers. Now, nobody goes to the cemetery and paints tombstones. That'd be a waste of paint. Amen. I know my mom used to say we're... we're poor enough to whitewash and or no rich enough to whitewash and too poor to paint you ever heard that one? Oh, that was an old saying with my mom okay well these whited sepulchers are people that just put a front up now you can do all you want to a tombstone you're not going to make it look a whole lot better you're not going to make it sound a whole lot better you're not going to make it that much better but he used that as an example he didn't say they went around painting tombstones but he used that as a reference to show them, you're wasting your time, boys. You know, you want to look good on the outside, all painted up and pretty. But on the inside, what are you full of? Dead men's bones. In other words, he was talking about your walk and your talk don't match what you're trying to put forth. Amen? So it, when he says that they're within, they're full of dead men's bones, and all uncleanliness. Now, so we, that's not a good representation of what they're trying to do there. Amen? So, there's nothing wrong with tombs. They're needed. But Jesus uses them for an example of what I, we call now dead men walking. They think they even have, don't they have a movie like or show like dead men in that one? The walking dead, that's what he was talking about. That's what you hypocrites are just like, the walking dead. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that show or any representation of it. And if it's on television or at the movie theater and you enjoy it, uh, enjoy it. That's not for me. Amen. The reason they're dead is because their hearts are not right with God. Amen. Amen. If their hearts were right with God, they'd be alive even when they die, physically. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. God's got a way of keeping everything, all the record straight on all that. Again, before you put on a display outward, make sure your inward matches it is what Jesus was teaching. Whether he's teaching it through the cup and platter or whether he's teaching it through tombstones, make sure what people see in your life is what's on the inside shining through and coming out. In verse 28, he concludes with that teaching on the outward appearance, and, and he says, Even so, ye inwardly appear righteous, or ye outwardly, I'm sorry, appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Amen. Wow, that's pretty t powerful words for Jesus to use. So if God looks at your heart, we need to make sure the heart is right with God. Then the outward will produce 
the righteousness which is the opposite of sin. Now, I got to tell you, as I read my Bible and the more I read in it, the more I understand that sin is what hinders anybody from making it to heaven. If you want to boil it down to one thing, sin's it. That's kind of what I call the dividing line. Whichever side of sin your life lines up on determines your eternal destiny. And then on the other hand, I see righteousness as being what God expects for us to put forth as human beings. Now, I've got to tell you, there's none of us can save ourselves. You just can't do it, you know. You can try, but sin will disqualify you. But righteousness, if your heart is right with God first, righteousness will help keep you on the straight and narrow and walking in the will of God. You be, the word righteousness means you just do right. Now what guides you as to what's right? It needs to be your heart and your mind. And if that's right with God, you will be right for God. So righteousness will help you maintain your right experience with God in your heart and your mind. It doesn't save you. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I do a lot of good works. I'm nice to everybody. And I've talked to people about their soul, and they say, you know, I just treat everybody so wonderful. Everybody likes me. I'm so good. That ain't going to get you to heaven. If your heart has not met the conditions of the Scriptures in the grace and mercy that God extends our way through faith, you're not ready for heaven. But if you get your heart right first, clean the inside cup and platter, righteousness will guarantee that you'll stay on the track that God puts in your life. So righteousness doesn't save you, but it helps you maintain your walk with God. Amen? Now the reason the Pharisees fell into the hypocrite status with Jesus is they brought to, to, they thought that a good look on the outside would make them a candidate for heaven. If you just do right. Well, uh, now you know what Jesus was teaching to these hypocrites. Now that's just a drop in the bucket in Matthew the 23rd chapter as to what Jesus had to say about hypocrites, but it's time to move on. That's so much for the introduction. Now let's get to the message. How's that? Ready? Shouldn't be another hour or so. All right. All right. Go with me to Romans the second chapter. In Romans the second chapter... And I want to talk to you about Romans. I've, I've tried to cover some of the Roman book, letter, whatever you want to call it, and how Paul used this letter in the, the New Testament time. Now, this was written in the first century. And a lot of times in the first century, everybody looked at people or salvation or godliness or whatever you want. There was only two groups. How many churches do we have nowadays? that teach whatever they want to teach and how yeah, we'll get thousands of them. Back then there was only two. There was the Jew and everybody else. Because the Jews took it on themselves to say, oh God in the Old Testament has always been on our team. Every time we had enemies, they fought. God came in, wiped them out. And he took us to the promised land in the Old Testament. You remember, they crossed the Jordan River, they took Jericho, God gave him the land. Wasn't that great? Amen. I thought it was awesome. Bonnie just was reading in the scriptures not long ago and wanted to know about crossing the Red Sea. 
And you know, when God took them across the Red Sea, he had a purpose for that. Now, let me just, this, just if you never thought about this, think about it. Now, you know that there's a war going on in Israel and Gaza, right? All right, right at where Israel and Gaza come together, right along the Mediterranean Sea, there's a line drawn there, and that's where Egypt starts. From the south on around to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. Got it? Now, why did those Israelites, if you would, or uh, the children of God, however you want to look at how'd they get to Egypt? Oh, they ran out of food. And Egypt had all kinds of food because God had moved on a man's heart named Joseph, who was a brother to these 12 rascals, one of the 12, and their daddy, and he told him an animal killed him, and they actually sold him to the Egyptians. Man, what do you think of that? So he was in Egypt already, and God gave him a dream. He said, you know what? We're going to have seven years of plenty. I mean, the corn is going to boom right to the ceiling. It's going to be corn everywhere. Everything's great. Then we're going to have seven years where nothing's going to grow. And, of course, Joseph got this dream from God. He went to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and said, You know what? It's going to be a big problem coming. Now, this is what God said is going to happen. Well, as Pharaoh was watching these seven good years where they had more and more and more than more, uh, they didn't know what to do with all of it, he called Joseph in and says, You know what? I think you're right. I think we need to prepare just in case. After these seven wonderful years, we have seven bad years of nothing to eat, and we'll even it out. We'll have some now and some later. Amen. Everybody likes leftovers, don't they? Amen. So they, he gave him charge of that, and they had so much food in storage in Egypt that when the seven bad years came, Joseph and his 11 brothers, they had nothing to eat. Nothing was growing. Now, how'd they get from the land they were in, which was the promised land that God said he'd give back to them someday, how'd they get from there to Egypt? Well, they just went right down just like you would. Did they cross the Red Sea? No. Then why, when they were leaving Egypt, did God take them across the Red Sea? Huh, did you ever think about that? Now, they could have went right up to the Mediterranean Sea and right across the Nile River and right on in. Nile River's a little bit easier to cross than a Red Sea. You can figure that in your head, can't you? A sea's a little bit wider than a river, especially certain times of the year, and especially when it's been seven bad years where nothing's growing because it probably hadn't rained enough and hadn't got it done. it. So the river's even lower and easier to cross. So all of them, Joseph said, go get your dad and all your brothers and sisters and all your clan and everybody. Come on down to Egypt where we got plenty. And they did. But then when he took them back out and led them, he wanted them to know that he was the God of heaven. And he could take care of them. He crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And, of course, that same Red Sea drowned the army that was trying to follow him. You know the whole story. That's another. I shouldn't have got into that. that. That took me off way too far from where we need to be. But I just want you to know God has a plan for everything he does. So when we come to... Uh, Romans, the second chapter, 
And I want to start in in verse number 25. I'm going to read this really quick because the clock's still running too fast. He says, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. Okay, so understand that. Now, the Jews were God's chosen people. One of the things that make you a Jew, or one of two things, how did you get to be a Jew? Either through circumcision or being born in the right family. Okay, well you can't, you don't have nothing to say about what, what family you're born into. Amen? Amen. I was born into Evans, whether I liked it or not. Now I'm still in Evans. I'm always going to be in Evans. You know, I have anything to say about that. But I do have a lot to say about my life since I became an Evans. Amen? That's what I want to work on. So here he says circumcision also can make you a Jew. But he wants you to know if you're not following the law, in other words, circumcision is just an outward something. You've got to have the law in your heart. That's why I had Brother Steve read those uh, two verses in uh, Ezekiel telling us that we've got to get a heart of stone out and get the laws written in a, in a heart of flesh. So now we've got this situation here. For circumcision verily profiteth if keep the law. But if you be a lawbreaker, a breaker of the law, the circumcision is made uncircumcision. In other words, even if you're a perfect Jew and did get circumcised, you're born in the right family, you got circumcised, you don't keep the law, what's it worth? For God, you wasted your time in both areas. That's not going to get you to heaven. All right? So Paul wanted these people to understand that when he was writing this. He says your circumcision then is uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision kept the righteous of the, if the, those that were not circumcision, I'll put it in dude's terms, keep the righteousness of the law, if they get their hearts right and live right, then their uncircumcision is counted to them as circumcision. In other words, you become part of God's family. No matter who you was born to, whether you were circumcised or not, if you keep the law that God puts in your heart, now you're right with God. We got that? All right, so get down here. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it be fulfilled the law, judge thee, whom by the letter of circumcision does transgress the law. Now that's a question. But then in verse 28 and 29, he levels the playing field. For he is not a Jew that was born that way or circumcised. He is not a Jew which is one. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. See, the hypocrites live on the outward. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. That don't count anymore. Paul's telling you that that won't get the job done. But verse 29 says, "But he is a Jew." In other words. He uses the term Jew here to mean Christian, a godly person, somebody that's going to make it to heaven eventually. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision of the heart in the spirit and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, when we talk about um, hypocrites, Jesus accused them, you guys only do what you do just so other men will praise you. You look good before the crowds. Amen. Look, I wear a tie. Ain't, that, ain't I special? Am I the only one with a tie today? 
Holy mackerel, look how awesome I am. That ain't got a thing to do with that. That's an outward. If my heart's not right with I could wear six ties, it wouldn't make me any more righteous with God. That ain't got nothing to do with it. What the outward, and that's all the Pharisees and scribes tried to do. They tried to put their finger on everybody else and say, we're better than you because of what we look like. Well, all yours, why did sepulchers, Jesus said. But inwardly, you're full of dead men's bones. So uh, Jesus wanted to make it clear with them, people, that God accepts anyone. In this day and time, in the first century, anyone whose heart and minds have been settled with what they need to do in being the child of God they need to be before God. Amen? Anybody that accepts the New Testament teachings, puts their faith and trust in the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. He was the Lamb of God that shed His blood for the sacrifice of sin. You put your faith in Him, now you're on the right track because you're taking care of the cup and platter and cleaning the inside so the outside will look right. You're not worried about whether you're a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. He wants you to know that on the inside is taken care of in the spiritual realm with God. Amen. Just flip on over with me, and I just want to read a couple of things in Romans, the third chapter, to kind of substantiate this. But in verse number 20, it says, and of course, he was following that same theme as you read through the Roman letter here. But now the righteousness of God. Now, what is the righteousness of God? Without the law, that's in verse 21, Mike, I'm sorry. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, got it? Amen. Faith don't, faith don't look on the outside. I can't look at somebody's outside and tell how much faith they have, and there's, there's no way of measuring faith anyway. But the... Uh, the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Now, he's saying, Jews, everybody else, ain't no difference anymore. You're all the same, but it's based on your righteousness before God, your faith in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, have you accepted that to wash away your sins? That blood sacrifice of that Passover lamb named Jesus, not the one that they had in the Passover in Jerusalem. So now we say Paul's telling everyone that since he wrote this letter, amen, now everything's based on what God looks at when he looks at your heart. Amen. You can do enough deeds and works or put on enough good display to, get, to convince God that you deserve heaven as your final home. There's just no way you can do it. I don't care how many orphanages you do. I don't care how many missionary trips you take around the world. I don't care how many churches you build. I don't care what you do as far as doing it if your heart's not in it. If your heart's not right with God, you've just done a bunch of good works. But that's not going to count if the inside of the cup and platter has got dirt in it. Amen? Amen. So, there's no law you can keep 
to be right with God. But once your heart is right with God, the law can show you what you need to do to stay righteous before a righteous God. That's what Paul is telling these Jews and these Romans. The people he's writing this letter to are not really fond of the Jews or are not really even Jews. Amen? So uh, then it comes to where righteousness comes from. In verse 21 and 22, we know it comes through Jesus Christ. And he's the one that we need to have our hearts right with if we're going to make heaven our eternal home. And that's why... In Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 8 and 9, um, I'm not going to turn there. Most of you probably can quote it. If you don't, you ought to write it down and, and memorize this one. Because, uh, for by grace you're saved. Did you know you were saved by grace? Through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of any works, lest any man should boast. The more works people do, the more their flesh wants to boast about it. Amen. Now, if your heart's right with God, you'll do the works that God lays on your heart to do, and you don't care whether anybody notices it or not, as long as God does. Amen. I've done things for people that I know nobody else knows about. As a matter of fact, I've even told them, don't tell nobody I did this for you. You know, I just wanted to do something good for you. And just don't tell nobody. And, then, and I have also done things for people and I got to church and everybody comes hey, did you know what dude did for him well I didn't do it to, for them to pat me on the back or say I wanted to do the right thing because God laid it on my heart to do it amen there's a lot of things that I do I don't, you know, I don't care whether anybody sees it or not I know God saw it and he keeps the record anyway so that's what Ephesians 2 8 and 9 is telling us we need to do to get our hearts right with God you see, it's all about the heart. And God looks at the heart first. And then he wants to see if your works and your deeds match up to what he wrote in your fleshly heart. Not your stony heart. He took that out. Amen? Because it's hard to erase stone. Once you etch something in stone, it's hard to erase it. But if you can write it in your heart, then it'll mean something to you. So the best way to maintain your heart is to watch what goes into it, physically and spiritually. Amen? I'm going to close with this thought. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, verse 11, uh, 11 through 18. I'm not even going to read it. I'll just tell you what's there. You look up there on the wall if you want. But uh, Jesus said, I want to tell you guys, I want you to understand some things that's going on. Now, the hypocrites in verse 1, now Mike doesn't have that, but it's there. It says, when Jesus um, came, when came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were in Jerusalem, saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? You know what they were talking about? They ate without washing their hands. Boy, isn't that terrible? Now, I know I'm a mechanic, and I can get some pretty dirty hands. And Bonnie fixes me lunch, and the first thing she yells at me about, not ask me, 
First thing she yells at me about is, did you wash your hands when you came in the kitchen? Amen? And here are these guys. I don't know how long they'd been walking. I don't know whether Jesus forgot to stop at IHOP on the way where they were going and get the all-you-can-eat pancakes or not. But later in the afternoon, they came across this field and they were starting to get a little hungry. So they just reached out and grabbed. Did you ever do that? I'm an old farm boy. I've done that. Just shelled some corn or some soybeans out in my hand or wheat. Hmm, pretty good. Amen. But I didn't wash my hands before I done it. I just did it. I was crazy back then, you know what I mean? So um, here's what they're com complaining to Jesus about. Those guys plucked an ear of corn, shelled it, passed it around to all of them, and all of them got a handful of cornmeal. And they didn't wash their hands. You know the tradition of the elders is they're supposed to wash their hands. Now, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. And if they get dirty or wherever you've been putting your hands, it's not sanitary, you need to wash them. I understand that. And especially if you work in fast food restaurant or something, whatever, wash your hands before you serve somebody something to eat. Now, they, Jesus got on them about it. He said, you guys are just being a bunch of hypocrites here. Now drop down to verse 10, and he called the multitude on him and said, Hear and understand, not that which goes in the mouth defiles a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defiles the man. That's what Jesus said to those hypocrites when he was teaching on this particular subject. Of course, nobody knew what he was talking about when he said it. Even his disciples they felt ashamed that they made Jesus, if you would, have to stand up for them doing something that was probably the wrong thing to do. They ate without washing their hands. Well, he had to uh, call them aside. The disciples said unto him, We know that the, the Pharisees were offended when they, uh, you told them about this. And Jesus said, Well, don't worry about it. Every plant that's not planted by my Father is going to be uprooted anyway. If they're offended by this word, they'll just have to be offended by it because it's still the truth. Now, I want you to roll on down with me in this particular uh, time because in verse 15, Peter says, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you explain that to me? And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? I'm going to tell you one more time in verse 17 and 18. Try to get this right. Do you not understand that what enters in your mouth, where does it go? It goes into your belly. And then eventually on out somewhere else. Right? But now what comes out of your mouth, that came from your heart or your mind, your attitude, your character, whatever you want to call it. That's what's going to defile you. And that's the thing that the Pharisees were hypocritic about. That's why they were the ones that Jesus had to deal with on this situation. Those things which proceed out of your mouth, they came from your heart. And that's what defiles the man. That's why the Pharisees were defiled. When they opened their mouth, they showed everybody what was in their heart. Amen? So what we got to do? First, Get our hearts clean. God looks at the heart. First and foremost, nothing else matters 
if your heart's not right with God. So you need to take time and find a place alone with God, make peace with God according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and by grace through faith, accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life, and then do the things he's called you to do as his child. Then you can become the Jew. Now I know there's a lot of people upset in America today because of the war over in Israel, and it's all the Jews are all going to be saved someday. Well, they all already are. But you've got to know who a Jew is. A Jew which is, Jew is not the one that's on outward. The Jew is the one that's inward. And all those that are inward Jews, they're saved. Hmm, isn't that something? And you know, a lot of people trying to preach the end time portions of the, of the scripture. Oh man, you wait till you see what's going on in Jerusalem. I met some people at our chili cook-off that were in Jerusalem. There wasn't nothing going on there. Huh, and there's a war in Israel going on, full-fledged war. They were in Jerusalem. They were in the Dead Sea. They were in the Sea of Galilee. They were in the Jordan River. They were there. The day their plan landed was October the 7th. That's when the war first started. And their tour guy said, if you guys want to get on a plane and leave, you can. I said, no, we'll stay. We're going to take our tour. And they stayed there for two more weeks, covered the whole territory. They could hear the bombing in the background. And the, the guy that was leading the pack, don't worry, I don't think they're coming this way. All that fighting's going on out by the ocean. Don't pay no attention to it. They stayed there the whole time. Hmm, what do you think about that? Well, God takes care of his people. God knows who's the Jew and who's the fake Jew. Amen? He knows who's trying to look good before him, not be good before him he knows who the hypocrites are he knows who the liars are and he knows who his children are amen I don't think because your parents went to church and your mommy and daddy or your aunt Susie was awesome lady of God because God ain't got no grandchildren so don't count on what somebody else did and pointing you to God make sure you personally make your way to God then you be the child of God because God ain't got no grandchildren. You can't hang on to anybody else's apron string to make it to heaven. You got to do it on your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.